The most important thing I could say, and, and, and it's genuinely true with myself, is if you do it, if it all hangs on that selection and that performance in Tokyo or your selection for anything, you're doing it for the wrong reasons. You will, you're playing with fire and you possibly will be devastated and very disappointed and not stay in the sport. Hello. I'm Charlotte Ricker-Smith, and you're listening to Free Rain Podcast. Hello and welcome to Free Rain Podcast. Goodness me, it's a long time since I've said those words, and I can only apologise for the frankly embarrassing amount of time between episodes. There's been a lot of stuff going on in my personal life, with divorce and work and health, and just a podcast hasn't been top of my agenda, I'm afraid. So I've let things slip, and then when I decided I wanted to get back on with it again, it was such a long time since my last interviews that... I know it sounds ridiculous. I almost felt embarrassed to, to bring it back because it just felt like I, the ship, that ship had sailed and I felt like maybe I should just knock it on the head. And then along came COVID-19 and obviously got more time on my hands. Also, aware that people are at home and they're missing their equestrian sport and what they really would love to get is a podcast with their favourite riders. And I have got three fantastic interviews that haven't dated, that are still interesting, that are still relevant, and it seemed such a shame not to use them. So, the interviews that I've got in the bag are with international dressage rider Richard Davison, legendary show jumper Michael Whitaker, and Hickstead favourite and all-round nice guy Matt Sampson. So those three interviews are done. They were done, oh God, at the beginning of 2019, so over a year ago. Today is May the 7th, it's VE Day, and I am out riding Pepper. I'm going up a very big hill um, up on the South Downs, and it's a glorious sunny day. Throughout lockdown, I have been riding, I have to admit. It's been my sanity, and it's been my daily exercise, and it's also been the dog's exercise. So this is where I find myself now, recording the introduction to episode nine, which is with the very lovely, very interesting, charming, chatty, Olympic dressage rider, Richard Davison. Now, Richard was a joy to talk to and very generous with his time. There was such great content and I had to whittle it down into 50 minutes for this podcast. And I've listened to it all through again. And as I said, it's still very relevant. There's a couple of things he mentioned. He mentions Brexit. Okay, that's long since gone. He also talks about Tokyo. Sadly, that's not happening. But on the whole, it's such, it's such a lovely interview. It made me smile. I just love the way he's so open and honest about how he feels about the sport, and he's so passionate about the sport. And in this interview, we cover a whole range of subjects, including piloting a new shorter format for the World Cup Grand Prix, which debuted at Olympia back in 2018. Well, since then, they did the second test pilot in 2019, and it's actually uh, has now been approved. Now, Richard was a real driving force behind this two-year pilot, and I've since spoken to him to get the latest information on what's going on with it, and he said that although there were initial concerns by riders about the format, they're now satisfied with the content. Carl Hester has agreed with him that they don't need, for example, three extended trots, and he said, and I quote, it does happen very quickly, but it has all the right things in it. Visually, it's much nicer to watch. So it seems that the riders are now backing this new format. And Richard said the riders understand the rationale behind it. He also emphasised that this new shorter format has nothing to do with the outdoor season or the future of dressage. It's only for the World Cup, which is held indoors during the winter. And to be honest, it's all about the freestyle anyway. As I said, Richard is never short of an opinion. He talks a lot of sense. What really shines through in this podcast for me is Richard's passion for his sport. 
it's not just about winning prizes. He loves the whole process. And when he talks about his horse bubbling, you can see the love he has for that horse. He's been so generous with him and taking things so slowly. And he brings that kindness, thought and intelligence to all aspects of dressage, which makes him such an asset to the sport. I could have chatted to him for a lot longer, but I picked out the best bits for you, which I hope you enjoy. Richard, hello. Hello. Thank you so much for seeing me at your amazing place. And it turned out that you were on a, on a show jumper doing a few jumps there. So obviously, due to your sons, is your life taking quite a different direction now with lots of show jumpers? Well, actually, lots of people ask me that, and, and the answer is no. Um, because Jill and I, as youngsters, um, always... I mean, I, that's where I started from, was show jumping... So, uh, as a kid, um, you know, I loved jump, show jumping. I did a lot of pony club stuff, and I loved it. I loved learning. I loved what I learned from pony club and about stable management mm -hmm. and how horses work and everything like that. In fact, funnily enough, I still think about what I learned there. I'm still putting into practice now. Um, but um, I don't know how I got into this, but a friend said to me that there was a sort of team going off to South Africa for Pony Club and uh, so I went along and went to the selection for it and uh, they selected me and I didn't really pay a lot of it I knew there was jumping uh, and then they sort of said well actually there's a couple of events as well and I'd never done a dressage test um, and so I had to quickly learn how to do a dressage test so, so what I'm really saying is um, you know, as a youngster, I only show jump. That's that's all I knew. About, yeah, yeah. Really. I didn't know much about that either, but um, that's all I did, should I say? And then I went on this pony club thing, and then I let my teammates down very badly because you know, obviously, I didn't know anything about dressage, and I had to wobble around this <coughs> dressage test, and I, I'm sure I probably caused the team to be last. I can't really remember, um, but I know they were very embarrassed about my my efforts with that. Mm -hmm. But then, when, when I left school, I had to work. I had to work. But your my, dad made you work for his he company, did. didn't he? He did. He did indeed. And uh, I mean, that's an interesting story because I really hated it. Um, didn't think it. What was it? Is it a PR? What no, was it? it was marketing. marketing okay. um, still, it wasn't for me. I wanted to be outside riding a horse. And in the end, uh, he realised that I was probably yawning in in group meetings and not really understanding what they were talking about. And um, I said to him, look, this is going nowhere for me. Um, I'm sure I'm not contributing anything to the business. So he had this bright idea of um, finding a half a sort of compromise where he, um, the part of the business, or included in the business, was a petrol station. And um, mostly it was there, really, because there were a lot of reps and things, and, yeah. and it was actually cheaper to provide your own petrol for so he had his own petrol station yes as included in the business oh, but he said to me look you know maybe what you need is your own kind of part of a little business to you just organize the whole thing and maybe that will get get your interest commercial mm -hmm. interest going so i thought that was a great idea the only problem from his point of view was the location was roughly where the a50 is now uh, before the new a50 
right in the heart of the men of hunt country. Anyway, so I, I then used to take my Land Rover trailer with a horse in there, do the shifts, nip out hunting, come back, call in there for four o'clock, which is when they changed, the staff changed over, horse in the back of the trailer and uh, get that shift going and then go back and sort the horse out. And, uh, and this went on and on and on, but obviously it meant I took my eye off the ball with the business and uh, I think my father called in one day and wanted to know where I was. You were out hunting. I was out hunting. <laughs> so in the end, he said, no, okay, if you're going to do these horses, you need to be trained properly. And so um, the long and short of it is I ended up going to Sandra Pierce and Adams' uh, eventing stable, yeah. which was in Shropshire. And that's where I learned a little bit more. Well, no, she tried to teach me a lot more about dressage. Um, and, you know, and I got into eventing. So I went and into eventing because of Sandra. Really. And so when, what point was it that the dressage took over and you kind of got the, the bug? After uh, Sandra, after I left Sandra, um, I had some training from Barbara Sloan Fleming, who was also a fellow of the British Film Society, like Sandra was, mm-hmm. and uh, Barbara was too. And then Barbara asked me to compete her horse, and um, basically uh, there was, although I really didn't understand I was like completely naive into this world. Um, you know, that was sort of entry into it. And then from that led to um, going to Vienna, uh, really through Barbara and Lady Joycey. Um, and so then it just really took off, really. We're sat here by a fire, a roaring fire, overlooking the school. How many years have you been here? 30, uh, what is it, 33 years? Wow, amazing. So, yeah. and it's, was it a gradual process bit by bit? It all looks very new. Um, yeah, well, we had a bit of a refurb a, a couple of years ago. Um, yeah, it was a gradual process. Um, first of all, we built a small indoor school, then we built the extension on and so on and so forth. So we've built stuff as we've gone along and... Uh, I mean, I'm, you know, I must say on a morning like this now, it's, I know we're looking out, we're looking indoor school, but actually it's really lovely to be outside. Oh, and, I mean, it's just, yeah, spectacular place. Yeah, I mean, I've just been down, you know, it's a beautiful sunny morning, it's cold, but, you know, just going down the gallops, you know, we, we use the gallops for, not for fast work, only for fast work, but, you know, just for training and, yeah. uh, you know, it goes alongside that little lake and there's a family of, Swans on there, and you know, frosty morning when the swan, you know, jumps around. It's but it's a bit exciting, but it's actually really lovely to mm. to be outside and yeah. to, to to see the countryside really. And would you take bobbing down in the gallops? Yeah, yeah, they all. Because he's quite a, he's quite a nervy character. Isn't yes, he? he's funny enough. He's not nervous of the swans or the lake or anything like that. But um, yeah, he is a nervy. So that's why, for instance, he's going to these World Cup shows now. Really, uh, as a development exercise yes. not not particularly to be competitive yet but um for, as part of his more long-term development because he's taken so, so a while hasn't he because of, yeah. because of his temperament is that right yeah i mean he's, he's in a way he has a very good temperament he's an incredibly athletic and talented horse um yeah and maybe other people would have taken it faster but um 
you know, I just do things according to our pace now and, uh, well, really the horse dictates it. That's, that's one thing I was going to ask you about, the whole World Cup series. I feel like the Brits ne- we never do that well um, and I wasn't sure why that is because at, then at the sort of championships and world games, etc., we, yeah. we do really well. And also Charlotte and Carl never seem to compete at the World Cups. And again, why is that? Well, you, you've hit the nail on the head. That, years ago, um, the World Cup circuit was really followed by all top riders. Um, and I think in recent years, and this is, these obviously are the basis of my discussions with the FEI, I think it's lost a bit of ground. Um, obviously, luckily in dressage, all top riders' main goal for every year is the championship. So the championship mm. is what we call Olympics, Europeans or Worlds. Yeah. And that's that's obviously in around about August time. And um, there are not many top riders that have more than one top horse. Basically... Once a horse has reached the top, you know, I think most dressage riders realise there are only so many shows left in that horse to go. Every time you go to a, an international show, you want it to perform at yeah. top level. You yeah. can't cruise around or give a, a, a cosy ride around a Grand Prix. That just doesn't happen. Um, and especially not at the World Cup show. So it's foot to the floor, um, really, for every show you go to. Um, and so riders save their horses and you mm. will find that if you look back you'll find top horses have sometimes only done two or three shows per year right, or even right, one show right, year okay. because as they get older and they get a bit more fragile so that's why um there is a culture to save not to overcompete horses and yes. to save them so, you know, that, that's why uh, Simon Brooks Ward and myself had discussions with the FAI to say, listen, we can do something with this format. Because it's, gr- I mean, it's so popular. Mm. Every single show, in, in, certainly in Europe, World Cup show in Europe, the music uh, day, the freestyle day, uh, yeah. you, you know, is sold out, sells out like okay. So that bit is really popular. Um, and so we started, or I started saying, well, why do the horses? With so this is a game we're talking about, the new format, that which yeah. was trialled at Olympia. Wasn't yeah, it? so the business of this is, coming back to my point, is why have horses got to go to the well and ride a Grand Prix? The Grand Prix re-ride, the Grand Prix I'm going to be riding in Amsterdam um, on Friday afternoon, two days' time, is the same Grand Prix at the Olympic Games, at the World Championship. It's the same Grand Prix. That is not the case with eventers or uh, or um, with show jumpers. Um, they don't jump a championship 160 course at week in, week out, no. even though they jump the Grand Prix. They have a Grand Prix every week, yeah. but it's not as technically demanding, um, or physically demanding, I should say. So I so using that principle, I, and bearing in mind that a lot of top horses... And, uh, you know, they, they do suffer from repetitive strain injuries, soft yeah. tissue injuries. Of course, that's why they don't do many competitions yeah, and people yeah, want yeah. to save them. So, you know, the question is, well, let's see if we can address that. Why does a Grand Prix have to be so repetitive? Why do you need three extended trots? I mean, if you have one extended trot, it's the same for everybody in the class. It just means you can't have another two goes and up yes. your average on it. Yeah, yeah. So it, it's a competition. So you've just got to pull out your best one on your one shot. Yes. Um, and so in terms of all swell pair, it's complete nonsense. There, there is no justification. 
why you have to repeat lots of Piaf and Passage and all the rest of it. It's not good physically or mentally for the horses. So I'm trying to get people to actually think, well, why do we need to do that? If we have have a competition, the rules are the same for everybody uh, and it's better for the horses. But it's... Okay, so it's the horse welfare aspect. That's one aspect. But there's also trying to, you know, attract a wider audience and order appeal. Yes, of course. So how will changing... Changes you made. Why is it going to make it more exciting and dynamic? And well, first of all, a five-minute Grand Prix, um, which is what we're saying. All we're focusing is on the duration of the. How long is the current Grand Prix? Well, it says on the test five minutes forty-five seconds. But actually, if you time Charlotte, for instance, at Las Vegas, she she was six around six minutes thirty-six minutes twenty-five. I can't remember exactly the holding for that. But we said. We think about five minutes is right from my point of view to get the horse in the arena because there's no point. You know, the Grand Prix doesn't count for anything. It's the next day that yeah. have world cup points. So the the Grand, is the Grand Prix qualify for the freestyle? Well, yeah, but every if you've got under fifteen, everybody gets in anyway. So it's kind of something funny. What's the point of the Grand well, Prix? Uh, <laughs> say that question again and keep saying it because that is the Don't question. Don't wish to be rude. Yeah. yeah. So what's the point of going to the well for one class at one show? And that's the whole thing. Why are we doing this? Um, well, obviously, we need to get horses in the arena, and you need to get. We do get them in the arena in training time. Is it kind of like a, it's a warm-up class, the freestyle? That's yeah, but it's more than a warm-up class because you need enough audience uh, to get to the horses. You, we go into that arena, and for instance, I'm going to Amsterdam this afternoon, as soon as we finish with this, and I'll be riding in the arena this afternoon, but there'll be nobody there except the builders building it up. Oh, it's the Grand Prix this afternoon? Uh, no, the Grand Prix's on Friday. Okay. Uh, but what I'm saying is you can get in as a... I've got a, a, Get into the arena to show the horses the arena. That doesn't help. You need enough buzz so the, we need a test um, before the big freestyle test yeah. that has audience, that has enough buzz, that has enough atmosphere for the horses so that the next night, the freestyle night, they perform well and it's not a big shock to them. Um, so we do need more than a warm-up test. Yes. Two pilot years we're doing. Yeah. But people don't get their pilots. You know, it's, it, We don't know what the answer is until we've done the test. No, exactly. So we had to take a stab. We said, well, let's go for five minutes. That's the right amount of duration for the horses from my point of view. And from Simon's point of view, we're keeping the spectators' uh, interest. We think that's about right too. Yeah. Plus, we believe they do want to hear riders talk about how their test went and what they were aiming for and what worked. It's funny, I mean, it's very, it's very um, sort, of, sort of zeitgeisty, you know, this is what people expect, that, you know, strictly, the moment, you, you know, you come off the dance floor panting and sweating and the microphone's stuck in your, yeah. you know, and you, do, and you discuss how you've done, and that's what people want, don't they? They want, they want the action, they want immediate response, which is what you're doing, isn't yes. it? So the riders finish their test and, Mike, the, you know, Mike's sort of stuck in their face and they've got to talk about it, which I think some of the riders found a bit, I mean, even like Charlotte, how much pressure she done, I think they did find it a bit like, whoa. But I guess it's it's what the sport needs. And it's but listen, th- that's exactly what they need because don't forget, I hear and see what Charlotte and what riders actually say when they come out of the arena yes. every time. Yeah. And we know all that behind yeah. the scenes. But actually, why not bring it out into the open? If Formula One didn't have the interviews or the pit stops like it didn't used to have, nobody used to watch it years ago. Yeah. But now it's really interesting to yeah. watch the different, hear the different personalities. And riders will get better they at, will, at, at discussing and, and analysing 
when they come out of the ring. Yeah. How their test went. Is there an element that they don't they don't want to discuss and analyse? Like, a, if you've had a bad test, you kind of you don't want to talk about it. And B, it might be that you. It's, I don't know, not like giving away your secrets, but it's a bit like if you didn't write something well, do you want to talk about it? Do you want to just... Well, you, you know... You don't want to draw attention to it. Do you know what I mean? At World Cup level, we're talking about growing up riders. So if something didn't go well, think, the whole world has looked at it. The judges have given you the marks. The marks are all out so in the public. Okay, yeah. You can't hide. It yes. doesn't matter. Yeah, um, okay. That's what happens with yeah. horses. That's why the horse sports are so intriguing. It's not so predictable. And um, so, you know, this level, it doesn't, you know, it, it is what it is. Um, as I said, there's no hiding. And riders n- will become more open the more, the more they have to do this. Um, and don't forget that all the recreational riders or the other riders, they come out of the arena and they're not sure how, how to analyse their test. Mm-hmm. And they do get upset. But I've, actually, if they can realise that the rest of us do this, you know, all the time. We also get upset, but we don't take it. We realise there's another day, and we yes. realise why yeah, the you things might be, happen. You fluff your one time. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. It's yeah. not, you know, it's not the end of the world. Um, and in more importantly, what have I got to do to put that right? Yeah. So, it, you know, yeah. the chances you can never stop that happening one hundred percent, but you can you can increase the chances that yeah. it might not. And, and the other feedback that I um, I heard was that. Um, you know, the movements have come up quite quick, quite fast. Yeah, of course. Um, and is, again, is that a rider's feeling negative about that? You know, did they prefer it before, how it was before? Um, if you ask 10 riders to design a test and what they want in a test, you will probably get 33 different answers. Um, and I know this. I was for 11 years the vice president of the International Dressage Riders Club. And dressage riders it, are worse than uh, politicians deciding on what to do about Brexit, I can assure you. Uh, they do an awful lot of talking and not a lot of actually agreeing on on, on that. So um, in terms of that, but, you know, you've got a five-minute test with very few repetitions, which is good for the horses. Um, so you've got to make it difficult. Otherwise, there could be some degree of difficulty. Yes, yeah. So, the, the, yeah, if they do come up quick and fast, they're doing a Grand Prix, by the way, a normal Grand Prix, but that short Grand Prix, which I might say, which most of the media have got completely wrong, was a one-off test. All we wanted to do was test the duration, test test yes, for five minutes. Yeah. This coming year is also another pilot uh, right. to test other things or to tweak some of the changes. And so have you been, were you the driving force behind this? Uh, but together with Simon Brooks, me because I compete at World Cup shows and health, I've been a big supporter of the World Cup series for, I don't know, 20 years, however long it's been going. Yeah. Um, so I've seen it go in peaks and troughs and... Um, it doesn't have a title sponsor at the moment, uh, and I hope that some of the, uh, we're going to make it, you know, more attractive. Yes, yeah. And you know, one of the discussions that I'll be having with Isabel there when I get to Amsterdam, you know, I've read in the press that she keeps um, talking about this line of, "Well, you show me uh, a Grand Prix that has a TV contract, and then she'll she'll come with us in in, in terms of this." Well, that's exactly what the TV people come, came up to me after the background print and said that was a fantastic package, really um, engaging with the audience and, you know... So after Olympia. Yeah, fantastic. and they said we loved seeing... It, it's very much modelled on Strictly, of course, in terms of the sweating riders and the <laughs> panting riders and the judges and waiting for the judges' yeah. and, and seeing the emotion of what the riders yes. thought of the 
scores and you know all that kind of yeah, element yeah, yeah. and he said absolutely fan, you know fantastic we can make a tv tv program of that straight away Four decades, myriad of roles: rider, coach, manager, judge, show organizer. Um, which role gives you the greatest pleasure? Do you know I, I'm not good at uh, comparing things, and and I, th- I think about this quite a lot because it's quite a normal uh, structure of a question: which which, which is your f- most favourite? And you know, or I guess at this point in your life, if someone said to you, "You can't compete anymore." you can be involved, you know, on more more the kind of involved in the direction of where British dressers is going or dressers is going, or you can't do that, you can only ride. Do you feel like there's one Well, if somebody said you can't do that, that was that is going to be I will do that. That is part <laughs> of my character. So uh, that doesn't really work for me. That's and I suppose and then the other thing, and funny enough, I was walking down the gallops this morning in the sunshine, enjoying everything. You know, I often think uh, and I don't mean this in a morbid way, but my father died two year, two years older than my age now. Wow. So I enjoy. I don't take anything for granted, um, and so I I just think, how lucky am I that I've had this life? Mm. You know, actually, you know, doing doing the thing that I love and working, you know, with with businesses that. That support that and surround that, and uh, so I don't take anything for granted, and I really uh, in, enjoy it all, or most of it anyway. Yes, yes. I'm not saying I enjoy every well, minute. Well, say kind of yeah. Well, I mean, what, what gives you the biggest headache? Well, well, hold. But let me just answer the question. So, if you say that you take one part away from me, I don't take it for granted. So, I think that one of those parts might be taken away any moment, and right, so I enjoy yes. it for now. I don't think it's an entitlement. I think it's a big privilege because I know lots of people, you know, would like to be sitting in now here in our indoor school yes. talking to you instead of in their office or working in the factory or, or even worse, you know, when you when you look and see what people have to do around the world. So I know lots of people would like to do this and I really don't know why I've been fortunate enough to do it. So, so yeah, if you take one of those parts away, I will be rather cross and I will fight and I will struggle. <laughs> But, you know, I realise nothing lasts forever. And um, and, well, and it sounds like you, you know, you seem unbelievably grateful. So the, so the question about which gives you the biggest headache, you might say none of them because you feel so lucky to do it all. But is there, you know, one of those jobs that you're doing, you know, like if you're trying to modernise the sport or maybe progressive, you know, is that quite tricky with the FEI trying to make changes? I mean, it, it, it's tricky because it doesn't matter... What world you're in? One of the things I've learned from through the FEI, this job, well, I haven't got a job, but you know what I mean, through the work of the FEI, mm. is going, as most people have heard about the research group that I'm involved with, with the psychologists, and looking at the psychology of judging and attention spans. And I must have known I didn't know about this. So oh, okay. So I, when we're reforming the judging process, for yeah. example, that's another FEI task. Not, not different to the we're talking about the short grand, shorter Grand Prix. Mm. So uh, we've just completed the two years uh, scrutiny, really, of ju- the FEI judging process. Right. 
system. <clears throat> and in one of the early meetings, um, I we looked at this from an almost completely blank page situation. And I said, okay, so how we ask judges to say judge for six hours a day. Actually, the duration can be longer than that, but then they, you factor in the lunch break and all the rest of it. For two days yeah. in a row, one class at the Olympics or the World Games. Um, and I sort of said, well, how, how long can the human brain be consistent in its attention mm, and yeah, concentration? Yeah. And there's sort of uh, five or six of us on this working group. Uh, and they say, well, that's a good question. We don't know. We don't know we're going to the answer. Why don't you go off to your, because I'm connected to Nottingham Trent University, University and find the answer. So I trotted off to Nottingham Trent University. They organised a, a group of psychologists that work in all sorts of, support all sorts of interests from flying planes because obviously we, we would like to believe that concentration and attention is research-based yes. for pilots. Obviously with HGV you've got your driving hours and that is based on research. It's yeah, not just yeah. a finger in the wind. So I went and I think, with my notebook pen, thinking, okay, uh, they'll just tell me it's three and a half hours or it's this and that. And they went, well, it's not as simple as that, that famous line, you know. Um, it's all to do with the amount of decisions and perceptions that go through your eyes because those are all cognitive processes. It's all to do with the input uh, into your brain. Right, okay. And what, what I've learned through those um, cognition meetings, if you like, mm. is that all of us are nervous about change, especially for people like myself that work training with animals is all about consistency yeah, yeah. so our lives are built around consistent we're very consistent people or at least when it comes to training animals we are consistent otherwise you can't train an animal yeah so suddenly somebody comes along with a idea for change and it's whoa that will work we're nervous of that we're anxious of that mm. we're apprehensive of it. it's not going to work we don't like change Actually, I think that applies to m most people in, in the, yes, our civilization, yeah. And it's part of the fight and flight instant. We're going to either fight against this change or we're going to run away from the change, but really we don't want to. So I, I appreciate that change is difficult uh, for our brains to embrace, basically. Uh, but, you know, the world is changing. I mean, absolutely, I think the world yeah. is changing dramatically. Phenomenal rates, yeah. Um, not necessarily we can't choose it whether it's good or bad uh, and so we've got to, we've sort of got to get a little bit less anxious about change because some of it we cannot control mm. Mm. Um, so yeah so of course you know helping stakeholders whether it's in the FEI or dress under world or anything is is challenging and I you know that's not I'm not responsible for that. I can help with that. Yeah, you can advise. But, yeah. yeah. But, you know, ultimately, well, I suppose I'm in a lucky position that that if I'm tasked to do a job, I can do the job, I can give my findings, whether those findings are palatable or not palatable doesn't alter what my findings are. No. It's, okay, those are your findings. Now we've got to, somebody else has to 
yeah. sell those so and get the, buy-in. For the, for the psychology of judging, what were the findings? Is it? Well, we've published a report that there's 19 recommendations, which oh, wow. I can't go through. Wow. Okay. Um, but, and they're not, believe me, they're really mostly just common sense. They're not radical. But there's a few that... Um, that are causing that, that reaction and uncertainty within the stakeholder world. And that's, that is a good thing because I think it means that people start, you know, um, pulling them to pieces and, and looking at how mm-hmm. the, the detail goes into it. So, um, and I think that you get a better scrutiny. first two medals at Europeans in 1993, I believe. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> and I, I, I normally can't do dates. So, no, can't um, do dates. <laughs> no, that's with Master JB, JCB, JCB, sorry. yeah. And then a decade later, bronze medal winning team at Hickstead. Yeah, and um, that, that's with, that was with Bubbling's mother. That was oh, that Royale. Was, oh, well, I yeah. didn't realise it was. And oh, wow. uh, she, yeah, uh, and we only put it down last year, actually, she, she's you know, retired here. And wow, fantastic, amazing. Yeah. I didn't know, I didn't realise that. And I've read actually, you said that Hickstead was the most emotional competition you've taken part in. Now, you may well not, you may well change that now that after competing at the London 2012, I don't know if that was more emotional than Hickstead. I mean, in terms of... Well, that's, that's true actually, but you know, it comes back to my point about, you know, how do you compare these things, which is most, all I can tell you is both were very um, intense, I think. I mean, obviously it was emotional... Uh, at Hickstead after we won the medal, but uh, all the, the the sort of amusing thing I can remember at Hickstead is you know it's a small arena yeah, relatively yeah. Small compared to obviously something Absolutely. like London, so you feel quite close to the audience. Mm. And I was um, in those days, they always used to be the last rider. It's different now, but anyway, all I can remember is that waiting to go in there into the arena, and I got lots of people. Not just British. I remember Chef Janssen telling me, you know, oh, you've only got a score, uh, whatever, and, and you've got... A, did we win the bronze medal? Bronze. Bronze, yeah. You know, you've got this medal, you've got that medal. And actually, I was not... You know, when you just wait to go to do the test, you don't really listen or... You know, I remember all these things yes. happening, but I didn't pay it. And I thought it was rather ridiculous, actually. And they were all getting their figures wrong. You know, one was saying, oh, you've got to get 90%. And the other one was saying, oh, you've got 10%. You know, and it was like, just remember thinking, oh, we just, you know, get your, f- you lot go off in a corner and discuss yes, what I've got to do. do. In the meantime, I'm going to do it. Yeah, exactly. exactly. Um, so, you know, there was all that kind of build-up. And it re- really doesn't make any difference at all, because you just go in on a horse and you do what you can. You can't do more than that. No, exactly. But, you know, clearly the audience had got their paper and pen out and were also working it out uh, and the silence was absolutely deafening mm. that's all I can wow. tell you wow. and and I felt I got to the I remember getting to the walk and you know taking a deep breath halfway through the test and I felt the whole you know stands were taking a deep breath with me they hadn't breathed yes, for yeah. For that and and uh, so it was that was because you're very close and that so was great and it was really nice and it's nice you know because obviously you know, I've competed around the world and everything like that but it's nice to be 
doing it with yes. with your supporters yeah. Yeah. really following yeah. uh, following you and you know uh, it was great and London was very special too of course and I mean there's been sort of real up and downs hasn't there for British dressage and I know that I've spoken to, to Carl Hester in the past and about the number of years of going to the Olympics or going to the games and sort of oh no you know didn't get a medal again was it just we just basically got the good horses yeah 100% you know, <coughs> if you want to do a research study on it you know you can take right and I'm not going to mention any names now but you can take a top rider that has won a medal at say a championship um, and then you don't see them again for a long time not because they're not competing or they don't have horses they mm. just don't have horses as good and yeah. then you know five years later they have another top class yeah. horse and bang they're, that, that, they're yes, up there again yes, yeah. and so it's, it's the rider obviously the rider learns and the rider gets better and we all have learned a hell of a lot over, over the years and um, so you've upskilled the riders, or the yes, riders have upskilled yeah. themselves, and but they've got to have that world class horse. I think that was definitely Charlotte's <clears throat> fear after Villegra that people would kind of think she was a, you know, one trick pony, and and obviously that she's proving her worth because she's now got you know doing both her and Carla doing very well with their with their sort of new young horses, but there is a lot of pressure, isn't there, on those two. We can't just rely on them, can we, to bring us medals? It's got to, we, we need Nobody wants to. Depth. I mean, everybody wants to be doing what Charlotte and Carl are they, they just get given the good horses. That, you know, and obviously, they're amazing riders. But is it, it, it's like once you get that kind of kudos that they've got, everyone wants to give their horses to them, don't they? Well, you know, there's a number of factors. There's never, never one factor. So, uh, if, I, if you just take Carl, who obviously is a very long standing friend of mine, and we've known him each other for you know forever almost yeah, yeah. Uh, you know he and I sort of were struggling along in the dark ages and in terms of coaching and support and mentoring we had to go to Germany more mostly to Germany mm -hmm. or you know wherever but you know that was a long distance mentoring for, for yourself for our learning and developing yeah. and yeah. deciding yeah. on what which classes to do and all the rest of it that goes into it and, and, <clears throat> but when the problem in long distance mentoring is that's not a day to day. No. That's not a day to day decision. Do we do one more half fast? Do we actually? It's not very good. But should we just call it a day to day? And should we give it a day off tomorrow and deal with it on? And it's those decisions, or you know, shall we? So you I, didn't have anyone at home. No, of course you're doing it. It's a very insular sport, dressage. Mm, mm. You keep your horse at home. You train at home. You know now. As, as we've all learned more about how horses operate and how to optimise horses, mm. because when I say it's about getting world-class horses, it isn't about only about that. You've actually got to optimise them. You've got to yeah. ride them, you've yeah. got to produce them, you've got to train them, keep them sound, keep them mentally willing to, to do what we want them to do. So there's an awful lot of skill. and it's, So the great thing there you've got with the Carl and Charlotte situation, you've got Carl's... All of those years, yeah. in his his own words, where he was winning no medals, he was learning, learning, learning. Yes. So yeah, yeah. If you learn about the mistakes, then you don't make them again. Yeah, yeah. And he's a good learner, Carl. So, and he's a good horseman, and that's what makes a good horseman. So you've got all of that, mm -hmm. and then you've got it's a it's a marriage made in heaven. Then you've got this absolutely self-disciplined rider of, of Charlotte that really is hungry to do it, loves mm -hmm. success, leaves no stone unturned. And that they 
both know that it works because of their combination yes, together. Yeah, you know, yeah, obviously Carl's yeah. done it uh, before on, yeah. on his own, and we, he and I used to, you know, help each other. Now he, you know, because he's got Charlotte there on a daily basis, and Absolutely. you know, and they've made it work, and even their personalities are different. Um, and like every relationship, it, it hasn't, it isn't smooth. You've got to, you know, you've got to take the rough with the smooth and they both have. And I think, you know, uh, what they're achieving is absolutely incredible. It, it was, is, it was yes. a fairy tale with Vallegro. Yes. You couldn't do that again. Mm. Now it's not a fairy tale because, you know, Charlotte is, you know, absolutely one of the top few riders in the world yeah. and uh, the expectations are different uh, there, were, there was no expectation yes. with Belegro. everybody knew that he was a good horse yeah. but we didn't know he was the best horse in the world no, no. and we, we'd never been on that journey and neither had Carl and Charlotte certainly hadn't um, mm. so that was just the fairy tale that yeah. does, it, does it ever happen I, I, mean, I mean it's been I think huge pressure on Charlotte and and, but also, is it tough for the other other dressage riders? You know that the, the, there's so much focus on British dressage is Carl and Charlotte, Carl and Charlotte. Is it tough on, you know, on you or Spencer or Emil or Haley or Laura? You know, Absolutely not. I mean, you know, competing you at the at the top and the top in the threshold is tough. Make no mistake about it. It's it's tough, and you've got to have a lot of resilience. There's far more disappointments than there are. Mm. successes in, in and I don't mean just in the arena but you know, whether it's soundness or, yes. or, or non-selection or whatever so you know if you can't take the heat get out of the kitchen so that's the first thing I'll tell you um, uh, and, and there's always competition you know it doesn't matter whether it's Charlotte because she's another British rider I'm going to Amsterdam you know it's an absolutely really strong field yes. and so you, there's always people that are going to be better than yourself and you, you've got to just keep getting better yes, yourself getting yeah. better horse manager understand horses better ride horses better and so has Charlotte yeah. Charlotte, you know, Charlotte didn't win in WEG and no. that's unusual for Charlotte not to she's yeah. got, you know, she didn't used to win you know, when I knew Charlotte she, was, she wasn't uh, you know she's always been a winner in mentally a yes, winner yes. but she was not you didn't even know who Charlotte was yes. when I first knew her and then she's been on this journey and she has evolved in, into the rider she is but she will have Isabel and Lara Graves and she's got her competition so there's always you know somebody in front yes, of you and yes. hopefully there's always somebody behind you but also hopefully in terms of with you know Tokyo in mind in terms of the sort of strength and depth of the British team, like the eventing team, there's just a huge number of top riders and top horses yeah. to choose from. And we don't have, do you agree, we don't have that luxury in British dressage of a huge choice? So it's... Well, you know, it, th th very few countries do, to be quite honest with you. You know, and you ask about how did it all happen when just I happened to be the performance manager when it all happened. But um, it happened because we got three horses and three scores count... Uh, that were top horses and ridden by top riders and, and, and they rode them well on that day because that's the thing uh, you know you've got to deliver yes. on the day and, and we won medals and that's what we did in that well, and still doing um, but that's why it happened yes. now if you haven't got as any country doesn't have three 
you either need one mega and then two fairly top horses, yeah. or yeah. you need it three top. You know, it's the mathematical exercise yes. in dressage. Um, and any country, be it Holland or any, or, even, or even us, if you know, it depends. It's all uncertain times, and you know, I hear people, uh, you know, assuming that we're going to sort of stay at the top and that will all depend on mm. whether we've got three horses yeah. with three top riders who can well, deliver I mean at the moment there's all sort of fo- attention isn't there on, on Charlotte's ride freestyle and Carl with well your attention Carte. might be on it but mine isn't well as, <laughs> as, a, as a journalist yes no absolutely everything you get media wise yes. is oh is, I see what you mean do I you know what you mean yeah. no no meaning that, that is it seems to be it's constantly referenced to are these the next total yeah, so it's, see, it's those I, two when you when I say your attention might be on it and mine isn't and neither is Charlotte's Charlotte's got a whole string that she's got to develop yeah and and in her mind, this is really critical that she and Carl, you know, develop these horses. So there's pressures on them. Yeah. And I've got my horse. Spencer's got, you know, everybody's got. Haley's got her horse. They've all got their horse, and they're all really important to them. And and everybody at home has got their horse. And now all of your listeners has got their horse, and they are the most important yes. things to them. Not actually Freestyle or Charlotte. It's your horse. I guess we're just thinking about taking just because people like you know. Yeah, no, we're getting onto the hype, and that this happens yes. the whole time. And, and you, you know, the media have got to have something to work on, and we've all got to get everybody hyped up. I get that. I don't mean I mean that genuinely, yeah. because it's, it is important that you bring your supporters and your fan base and your enthusiasm followers with you. That's the whole point of it. Uh, but those of us that have been in a long time, and now including Charlotte and Carl, you know, they they know that. Below the hype, yes. you just get on your horse every day. Yeah, you yeah. do. You help the horse learn. You do what you can. You can't do more. Uh, and and what happens in eighteen months' time? Who knows what yeah. happens? Yeah, you know yeah. that it, it it will be what it will be. The most important thing I could say, and and, and it's genuinely true with myself, is. If you do it, if it all hangs on that selection and that performance in Tokyo or your selection for anything, you're doing it for the wrong reasons. You will, you're playing with fire and Mm. you possibly will be devastated and very disappointed and not stay in the sport. Um, All the the sort of big hypey moments are, are lovely and we all have those in our mind to aspire to but the real reason is you should do it because you enjoy the journey if you yeah, don't enjoy yeah, the journey yeah. and you do it just for the big ego the glory, moments yeah. you're 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 going to your mm. you know you have a big risk of disappointment it's funny i feel like i shouldn't ask you now after what you're saying but you know with with bubbling do you think could he be you know is it your hope that he would be an olympic horse yes absolutely my hope whether whether that'll happen i have no idea and if it doesn't happen i won't regret one minute of it Mm. uh, because i love riding him on a daily basis um so uh you know and i'm i'm realistic although i've been involved with a lot of olympics i've also not been selected for olympics and so i know what it's like Mm. not not to make it as well as to make it and uh and that that's that's a side issue. I like developing and training horses, so you know I'm very clear as to why I do it, and 
I didn't, it wasn't always clear because, you know, I, when I was younger, I did get wrapped up in, in the whole competitive thing. Uh, and it's a quite, it's a very... So do you think that you're, the way you're speaking now is because of your years of experience that you can see the bigger picture? Oh, yeah, 100%. I, I've come full circle. I mean, when I was a kid, bumbling around on my pony, trying to teach you to do things or whatever, I, I didn't think about Olympic Games. Luckily, you know, you know, the high, the social media, the television. Mm, mm. In fact, Olympic Games and black and white television were just boring, as far as I was concerned. We used to watch this opening ceremony that, well, they do still go on forever and ever, mostly at about, you know, midnight, <laughs> wherever the time difference was. So for me, you know, I, I, the Olympic Games were kind of just an feature as a kid. And thank God they didn't, because, you know, I just had, you know, to do what I could, you know, with that pony or, you know, with an older divorce. And now that's exactly where I am. I'm thinking, well, why am I doing this? And I'm doing it because I like, I like horses. It is. I mean, again, you know, it, it isn't something that um, we set out for it to be. It has evolved. I mean, you know, I think that the, the boys, Tom is our eldest and, you know, Joe's the youngest, and they, you know, they, they've got their own lives and, um, you know, I realised that, you know, that, that they were interested in ponies and horses and all that sort of it. And there's good and bad from being from a family like ours because, you know, even at a local level or whatever, you know, the expectation of here come yes. the babies and boys. But and is it easier for them, they're not in dressage, they're in show jumping, less, um, less I don't know, I I think it's different, different personalities and I think if you talk to one of them, they'd say when they were growing up, it maybe did add another expectation. But, you know, they've never risen to the expectation. I mean, I remember taking them to a pony club rally when they were quite small on their, you know, hairy ponies. And the only lorry we had was our competition lorry. You know? and <laughs> so I did was, you turn up in your swanky Well, lorry? we didn't have any choice. I mean, it was too far to hack. And like, believe me, like I used to do, they would have hacked. But, you know, so, I w you know, already we were like, oh, this is a bit embarrassing. This is not the way to make friends for the kids. But, you know, we just about got it through the gateway and dropped the ramp. And then I think everybody was expecting sort of gleaming ponies to come down, but absolutely no way. They were all hairy and scruffy and black and white and all the rest of it. And they got out, they got out and they did all their stuff and all the rest of it. At the end of the day, um, just before they got off their ponies, I said, OK, you know, what you have to do is go up to the district commissioner and say thank you very much. So you say thank you for the day. They were obviously young, they were, yes, you know, at that yeah. stage. And um, so they went over to the district commissioner who got a group of children around. And I can remember her saying in a very loud voice, oh, here come the Davidson boys. Now, they'll know just how to look after their ponies properly. And my heart sank because I don't know. <laughs> Davidson boy, they may know it, but they won't be doing it. Anyway, they said thank you very much and turned the ponies on their heels and trotted back to the truck and both trotted up the ramp together, ducking their heads as they went. Oh my God. And actually, you know, oh my God. You know we, 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 we would never, Jill and I would never have done such a thing as that. And so it was like, I had to apologise. 
eyes and say, you know, they've done, I, you know, I said, I don't know why they've done that. They don't normally do that. Um, but yeah. Oh, I bet they had kittens in there, the pony club. Yeah, probably. Uh, but they'd let us down <laughs> badly. But anyway, so anyway, that, 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 that's, but then they just, they have just carried on, you know, and it, it is nice. And again, I don't take that for granted. I do think it's nice that we're all <coughs> in the same community in mm. the same world because they've gone off and done their own thing haven't they Joe was with Jan Tox for a while and he was with Ben Mayer is that right yeah for a, well only short term um, Ben during the 2012 Olympics he was there and then you know they're both in it Joe's just come back from Florida now uh, to, to, in the, for the Winter Equestrian yeah, Festival yeah. so t- Tom's still there Joe will be back here for two or three weeks to take some of these younger horses yeah. to shows and then he's going back there so um, you know they, they do their own their own thing, um, but it's it's nice, and you know it, it doesn't really matter which country they're in. We we talk, and um, so you've got that as well. That's another energy for you, isn't it? You know, as well as your own what you're doing is, and also you know following your boys' career as well. <coughs> yeah, it, it is. But as I said, we feel we've always felt that's their business that they they make their own arrangements obviously like uh, all parents we're here for support and we're we're really interested in them um you know we talk a lot we talk on the phone lots about horses and or um, owners or students of having you know what exercise they should do so we you know it, it it is very nice it's not all the time nice i must be honest you know it's not all the rosy picture because like any family any family business and mm. <clears throat> there's logis- logistics um, you know where one horse box is going in one direction or just arriving and another one's going there and so it's not all sweetness and light I can assure you there's well, no I think most families fall out and then working together living together and everything it's yeah yeah no that's right but you know again you know I think you've got to take a step back and say listen how, how lucky are we because um, you know we're lucky on a, at the moment everybody's healthy and everybody's happy doing what they're doing now as I said doesn't mean that we're all happy every moment when I'm sitting on that traffic jam in a minute mm-hmm. if we go to the airport being late from a plane I won't be happy but yes. you know um, but you know the, the, all those kind of things are so minimal when you turn on the news and you see what other people have to deal with you know so I think we live in a you know the journey so far has been has been incredible mm, mm. and as I said I don't take that for granted no, but long may it continue um, it's been lovely I'm going to let you get your plane I don't want to be responsible for missing your plane <laughs> thank you so much it's been really really interesting to you. well lovely to chat to you thank you well that's all for this episode of Free Rain Podcast with me Charlotte Ricker I really hope you enjoyed listening. And if you did, please don't forget to rate, review and subscribe. Until next time, happy riding.